Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. This is the podcast for ISOs and MLSs that want to learn how to grow a profitable portfolio so they can make more money. Right, Patty? That's what we're all here in the payments industry to do. So today we're talking to uh, Pineapple Payments, right? The Brian and John. Mm -hmm. That was a pretty good interview. That was a very good interview, yes. I enjoyed it. I think they shared some really interesting insights through their kind of growth path with acquisition. Um, also, their gateway is pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. Some of the cash discounting stuff. They have the QR codes. Just the, the, the variety of stuff that yeah. you can do, I think, is really helpful. Yep. And then and we have the uh, sec- segment I did on the Fed and faster payments. Um, we might actually be having a instant funding. Payment. Yeah, instant right. funding in an yeah. always-on payment environment. Very exciting. And then finished it up. I was talking about um, you know, how much training is too much training. A lot, a, a lot of ISOs are they're trying to figure out how to get these agents going. They've recruited them. What do they do now? And they run into this problem of just too much training and not enough action. And there is a lot of a lot of that, don't you think? Yeah. A lot of, oh, my. Yeah. Happens a lot. Big yeah. problem in our industry. So let's jump in first and talk to Brian and John, right? Okay, let's go. All right, everybody. Today we have Brian Gross and John Halpern, the co-founders of Pineapple Payments. How are you guys doing today? Good. Doing well. Well, let's let's dive right in and uh, let's start off learning a little bit more about Pineapple Payments. Uh, I got to go up there. Uh, what was that a week ago, guys, or two weeks? I'm losing track of time. A couple weeks ago, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went up there and got to see the office and uh, just really exciting things going on. So tell us a little bit more about that. How did you guys uh, come to be partners and and how did you come to create Pineapple Payments? This is John. Uh, we we started Pineapple uh, in late. 2016, we, we launched the business. Brian Brian and I actually had been running a previous company called Athlete Tracks that had developed a software platform for the sports league and facility market. So you could think of it as a vertically focused point of sale with an operations management back end. Sure. And mm-hmm. so a big driver of that business was payment processing. So we had integrated with some of the other gateway companies out there. Uh, and so we really understood the landscape of what was going on in payments from an ISV perspective or an integrated software partner perspective. And we, uh, we met our other business partner and, and co-founder, Brian Shanahan, who uh, has been in the payment space for 27 years and has successfully started and exited from four, all four of his companies. Most notably, uh, he was the co-founder and CEO of uh, Card Connect. Uh-huh. Uh, where they locked that business and ultimately took it public and exited the first data. Uh, and so that was how we originally launched was we met him. We're all from the Pittsburgh area. Sure. Uh, and we really saw a need uh, to grow another payments company, focus more on integrated software partners, B2B, the emerging market segments. And we wanted to be able to grow the business both through an organic channel, but also through acquisition growth. So that's how we originally launched. We It was kind of a serendipitous way we all met, and uh, we've been off to the races since then. Awesome. And the, and the two of you guys go way back, right? So, yeah, Brian Gross and I go way back. We've been uh, best friends since we were five years old. So it's, wow. uh, it's always good to have a business partner that uh, that you can consider a friend and trust and that's awesome all of that as well and know and knows your sordid past as well as your accomplishments <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> that's awesome well okay so let's talk about technology a little bit you mentioned you know a, a processor kind of focused on integrated uh, technology and things like that um, where do you see the industry heading obviously you guys have a vision for what you think is going to happen, and that's why you're trying to stay out ahead of it with uh, pineapple payments. So, how do you see, you know, where do you see the industry heading? Um, how is you know technology going to going to impact us moving forward? 
sure. So, you know, I think people often get caught up in talking about cryptocurrency and alternative payment methods and, and these sorts of things. But sure. for us here, our mantra is paper to plastic, and our entire platform is built around converting, you know, traditional check or uh, you know offline payments to online payments and. Mm-hmm. Uh, beyond that, obviously, you know, another big topic for us is integrated payments, as John mentioned, making sure that you're able to get an omni-channel payments experience with, uh, you know, anything from card present to card not present, um, you know, back office transactions over the phone or, um, you know, still being, uh, you know, uh, taken online as well. So it's, it's really about making sure that you have uh, any mode or method of payment to uh, you know, be facilitated with our platform. And, um, you know, we really think that uh, it's about value-added software as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, plugging ourselves into other folks and uh, making sure that the, the end customer can get the differentiated functionality they need to manage their business, not just when it comes to payments, but, but other uh, areas that they might need a specific feature set for. So it's, it's kind of about the combination of technology, uh, in and out of payments, and taking processes that used to be offline and moving them online and, and in, enhancing that workflow. So Sure. Now, you know, one thing I just thought of kind of before we move on, so I want to ask you some, some really more specific questions about the features of like your gateway and stuff. But before we do that, you know, how do you guys describe pineapple payments? Because I know that, you know, some people listening, you know, so far in the interview might say, oh, okay, they're, they're competing with me. They're another ISO. Um, and I mean, you have that side of the business, but you also have the technology side. So what's kind of the elevator pitch for, you know, we have individual reps, we have small ISOs, large ISOs listening, you know, how do you kind of describe yourself to them and what do you do? Absolutely. So I think that's a great question. So pineapple payments, uh, the way I would describe what we do is uh, we, we provide, we have our own technology platform that we provide both to the end merchant as well as to, through our channel partners. So our platform really has two components to it. We have an out-of-the-box tool set that allows uh, other agents and other ISOs to completely white-label the platform and get the tools they need to go sell to their merchant base. And so that ranges from recurring billing to a native QuickBooks integration to hosted payment page and the ability to uh, do virtual terminal transactions, et cetera. And then we also have the ability to run everything through our API. So the best way I would describe it is Pineapple Payments is uh, a platform that's focused on selling through ISOs as well as software vendors, uh, leveraging our value-added technology to make it easier for a customer, whether it's out using our out-of-the-box solution or whether it's using our API-driven solution in a software environment. Sure, great. Well, I appreciate you clarifying that a little bit. And I mean, you know, it sounds like, and we talk about this a lot actually on the podcast about ISV integrations mm-hmm. and, you know, working with the software vendors and things like that. So it sounds like, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but kind of your focus uh, would be, you'd be a good company to partner with, you know, any ISO that's looking to go after the ISV channel and make those integrations happen. You guys would have the technology to basically back that up and, and make that process happen, right? That's correct. So both in that scenario and, and also for folks that are, it's really interesting. We were in a meeting a couple of weeks ago where we've seen some very large enterprise clients that are using our sophisticated out-of-the-box tools around invoicing uh, where they don't want to build out their own 
billing platform, mm-hmm, uh, sure. but they need an out-of-the-box solution. And so we, we both, it, even though the environment, to your earlier comments, is moving to this integrated uh, path within software, I think I would, I would say that our, our payment gateway and platform is also a, a value-added resource that many times people don't even need to access uh, a separate solution. They can actually tap right into our solution in 24 hours, be up and running, and start processing. And we have some large-scale enterprise clients that just use purely the out-of-the-box solution to run their business. And so sure. we believe the tools that are tucked into our out-of-the-box platform also create that value-added stickiness, um, whether you're an ISO selling the platform or whether you're an end merchant utilizing the platform. So just just so I'm clear on this, when you talk about your, your out-of-the-box software, I mean, basically you're talking about a sort of a, a cash management uh, solution? I mean, you know, receivables management and, and billing and, and so forth? That's correct. Our, our out-of-the-box platform, I would categorize as having really five key features to it. The first is uh, there's a fully uh, baked invoicing solution, so uh-huh. you can create invoices right within the software, right. or you can send invoices from your existing billing system into uh-huh. our software, okay. and then you can send those uh, invoices out to your clients to go make a payment. We also have the ability to add what's the, a hosted payment page, so they have the ability to add a client payment page uh, and have that link sent out using a QR code or sent uh-huh. out uh, via a link or embedded into a website. The third component is recurring billing, so a fully based solution for folks to do recurring billing and manage uh, expired cards, cards on file, right. all the reporting uh-huh. on that recurring billing. Uh, we have native QuickBooks integration that allows folks to process payments using our solution and then have that automatically sync into QuickBooks so there's no actual uh, need for any manual work. So uh-huh. it makes it really seamless for the business owner to, to right. handle their payments. And then the fifth, um, in addition to kind of your, your mobile app, virtual terminal, just kind of basic functionality. The fifth differentiation is cash discount or the service fee model, convenience uh-huh. fee model is baked into the entire platform as well. So you have the ability to sell that uh, to your end merchants if that customer is looking for that type of solution. So those are kind of the key features that I would incorporate into when describing our out-of-the-box tools. So it definitely is a receivables component to what you described, mm-hmm. but it also has many other kind of tentacles for how you can accept payments right. in a fully omni-channel environment. Right. And awesome. What makes us different from, from our competitors is that um, a lot, all the tools that John mentioned, they can stand alone, whereas, you know, with a lot of gateways or mm-hmm. payment platform uh, providers out there, they, they have a little bit of this and a little bit of that. You might be able to send an invoice out via email or set up kind of one type of recurring payment, but with us, you know, our recurring billing engine is complete, and we even help, uh, you know, merchants uh, track expiring cards. And right. with the, the invoicing, and it's a complete invoicing solution. As John said, we have a lot of folks that use it on a standalone basis, and we think that it competes with even some of the invoicing-only technologies out there. So, sure. you know, we've gone very deep into building these uh, these feature-driven value-add solutions mm-hmm. that have payments as 
component and you know we're just not a dumb terminal company we're not just a payment transacting api we've, we've got a lot more to it than just that sure so, sure. so you know uh two features i, I wanted to dive into a little bit because i think they're both really interesting not just from the perspective of your software but industry in general um, one of the things that's always been interesting, and you alluded to it a minute ago, is QR codes because, you know, there's so much hype about NFC and things right. like that. But, you know, when you really look at the big brands, I mean, look at Dunkin' Donuts. They have one of the most successful, uh, you know, programs for mm -hmm. rewards, and it's all QR codes right. that they use. Um, and so I noticed you guys in your gateway, you really have integrated QR codes in kind of a unique way I haven't seen before. Can you dive into that a little bit more? Why did you do that? And what exactly uh, can you do with QR codes using the gateway? Yeah, for sure. I think it's all about making it easier for people to pay, uh, whether you know, you're know you a consumer submitting a payment or you're a business accepting payments. QR codes are something that you know iPhone and Android devices now are able to recognize organically. Mm -hmm. So you can create a QR code that automatically opens up a, a URL in a web browser on those mobile devices if you open the camera application on those devices and scan right. the QR code. Right. So, we saw that as a logical way to kind of remove some of the barriers from having to go into your email and click a link or have someone, you know, text you something and type it in or get something in the mail and type it in. You basically, you know, get a, uh, you can get a paper invoice in the mail that has a QR code on it. You just pull out your phone and scan it. Or if, say, you're on site at an event or something like that, uh, you can scan it as well. So we, we just thought that it, it, it was one of the, you know, easy ways with technology that already exists to help remove some of that friction uh, point of sale. Um, or even, you know, as, as I said, if you're, you're paying an invoice or something that comes in the mail. Um, sure. And, you know, our merchants, is that, you know, use it in all scenarios. Uh, you know, we've seen people use it on flyers and they just post it up and, and people walk by it. Um, or as I said, you know, we see, you know, law firms sending it out. Uh, with invoices. Uh, oh, interesting. And, and yeah. it's pretty slick. Yeah, That's I thought pretty it was slick. pretty cool. Yeah. Um, now, one of the other ones, I might put you on the spot a little bit here. <clears throat> I, I forgot I wanted to ask you this question today. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about cash discounting because um, there is one feature that I, I keep thinking, like, why has no one created this yet? And I think you guys either have it or you're close to it. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but if I'm a merchant and I am, you know, e-commerce, a specifically larger ticket e-commerce, you know, I'm selling $500 items and you know, I really want to implement the concept of cash discounting uh, in an e-commerce environment. I would need a gateway where I have the option of either paying ACH, which would be cash equivalent, mm -hmm. or paying with a card and having a service fee on the, the card transaction. What are your thoughts about that concept? And are you guys uh, either already there or moving towards the direction of maybe having a feature that you know would do something like that? Yeah, I mean, we, we think that uh, cash discount is a big thing. It's something that's very misunderstood. In the industry here at Pineapple, we've spent a lot of time, uh, you know, doing our own homework on cash discount, convenience fees, service fees, sure. even some of the more gray area type things like site and usage fees and making sure that our ISOs and our merchants are well informed and educated about all this stuff. And mm -hmm. in order to make it easier for them so that, you know, it doesn't take, you know, reading 20 pages of credit card regulations, we've built technology and tools around this stuff so that it's very step by step. Um, you know, just keeping it simple. And so to your question, we do have complete cash discount functionality because we have the ability to do ACH and credit card transactions with the same, within the same platform. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that creates a beautiful thing. Uh, 
and you you know you can use that in all of our various features, whether it's you know invoicing and recurring billing through our QuickBooks plugin or on our host payment pages, or just straight out of the box and you know giving the consumer. Um, that host and payment page with room to be able to put, uh, you know, the right warnings on, um, right. you know, or, or so disclaimers about what type of transaction is occurring right. and how the fee's being added, making sure that, uh, you know, all of that is tidied up as it should be. That's really important as well. Um, and then to your, to your other question about kind of what we're working towards, we're working towards a fully integrated terminal solution that allows you to do cash discount in the right way where it, it breaks things out appropriately on the receipt. And it all goes through our gateway so that it creates that, um, you know, seamless customer experience for, for merchants to be able to get all the data that they need and, you know, a reporting mechanism as well. So we're, we're very big on, uh, you know, this model and, and doing it the right way. I think that's what we like to stress. We want to make sure that right. our sure. merchants are educated and, and all that. So. Uh, just a, a real quick question. I noticed you, you, you did mention ACH, and I'm, I'm presuming in that that. That would apply um, in the C2B as well as the B2B area. Just curious, are you doing anything in the form in the way of uh, electronic checks or uh, check capture for um, either, you know, clearing as an electronic check or through the ACH? Yeah, so we, we have electronic check available uh, okay. through our whole platform. Uh-huh. Set up like an e-check right. solution. So no differently than a credit card account. And right. it's, again, both are integrated into one login, so you don't need to go to multiple places. Right. You just toggle between drop downs depending mm-hmm. on what account you want to deal with. And then, in addition, you mentioned remote deposit capture. Right. Um, we actually, in the QuickBooks integration uh, that we have, we also have the ability to do remote deposit capture. Oh, uh, okay. You check scan support, and you can right. do that so that. Not only are you scanning the check immediately, uh, but then it auto um, auto populates. Auto populates, sure. Uh, right, so excellent. Okay, thank you. Everything are, everything with the QuickBooks file, no matter whether it's deposit capture or not, lives within the QuickBooks file and will automatically reconcile in real time. It's not a lag. It's not an export. Right. Time. Just to clarify, are you talking about QuickBooks or QuickBooks Online or both? So today we support uh, QuickBooks, uh, any of the kind of desktop versions for okay. the most uh-huh. part. Uh, and then we are working on uh, an integration with the online solution right. okay. uh, in the near term. And it, I mean, it really is surprising the percentage of small business owners that are still using the desktop stuff. I think it's like they all started using it forever ago and they're still using it. So I, I think you still have the vast majority of the market on the desktop, but of course, hopefully in the future, they're going to be moving more to the online version. Yeah, that's interesting. My accountant made me go to the no, online I, like years ago. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's one of uh, the few products that I've seen that uh, for the most part have just there's still so much functionality that has been baked into the desktop version mm-hmm. that, that a, there's still a, uh, we have, we've seen a uh, recent research that there's still a very sizable portion on the QuickBooks desktop versus the online version. Sure. Okay, so I want to, before we, we end this interview here, it's been really informative so far, but I really want to shift gears a little bit and go back to business model and provide some information to ISOs that would be a help because you know, you guys have scaled in a very different way than, than some other ISOs. Um, you know, a lot of the same tactics, but specifically I want to focus in on acquisitions. 
Um, and so I know that you guys have done acquisitions both on the technology side as well as on the ISO side. Um, you know, can you talk about how that's worked for you? Uh, what types of ISOs are you looking to acquire? Um, and just kind of give us a little feel for how you've grown your business you know, through acquisition. Sure. So uh, we, we've definitely grown the business in a little bit of a unique manner uh, between my business partners, experience Brian Shanahan in the, in the industry, and then also uh, we've got a great private equity strategic partner uh, that's been able to support funding some of these acquisitions. We've been able to grow relatively quickly. So uh, we've done we've done three different ISO acquisitions and then one technology acquisition. Uh, the technology acquisition was a company called Transax, which is really the, mm-hmm. the core platform that we've just been speaking about. Right. Uh, so they they built a really robust platform uh, over the past uh, handful of years that has gotten out in the marketplace and has some great traction. And so. That was the technology acquisition, and then there were three other ISO acquisitions that we did uh, that were more distribution-oriented deals right. for us, where we believe that over time we can convert some of those customers over to our technology platform and continue to scale together. Sure. For us, it's about we want to look at doing quality deals with quality people, uh, and so we want to do things that are value-add and that are going to be, be beneficial for the overall business. So as we look at acquisition, we look, especially from an ISO perspective, we, we're looking at folks that hopefully have uh, a portfolio in some of the kind of segments of the market that we like. We've hit on a couple of them being B2B, some of the emerging market segments. Um, we're, we're in addition to some other areas uh, that we've got traction in already, but those just to name a few. Um, we, we believe there's a lot of high value in the, some of those verticals that are converting from paper to plastic, professional services being another one. Sure. Um, and then on the technology side, we look at it of what channels do they have? Are they integrated with software partners? Do they have some differentiation on the software side of what they're doing? So from our point of view, we want there to – we really look at it as if we do a deal, does one plus one equal three or four? And is there opportunity for us to potentially save time and get additional value and, and really make it a win-win for both parties? Sure. Yeah, that's uh, that's really, mm-hmm. really good stuff there. So, okay, so, so based on that and, and kind of talking about that, um, what would be some advice that you would give? You know, I mean, I know there's probably, you know, an ISO, you know, executive or, or ISO owner that's listening to this podcast right now, driving down the road or driving to the office and they've got, you know, 600 accounts and they're doing, you know, 35 deals a month, 40 deals a month. And they're like, yeah, you know, I, I want to get my ISO to a point where I could be acquired or where I could get to the point where I could acquire others. I mean, what are some tips that you guys have learned over the last few years of, of building this thing and scaling it quickly that you could maybe uh, relate to those people that are looking to grow their business and or even be acquired at some point? So I think really it's about what are you looking to achieve with your business? And are you looking to continue to grow more of a lifestyle business or are you looking to really scale your business? And yeah. so if you're, if you're doing this um, to sort of, generate the income, continue to grow, then that may make the most sense to just keep growing organically for yourself. But if you're looking to grow more nationally, there could be opportunities to do one of two things, to either 
obviously build up your own value and potentially look at funding sources to go out and do acquisitions, whether that be a line of credit or whether that be trying to get an equity investor, or if you're a smaller ISO that's continuing to look to scale, do you team up with a pineapple or somebody else like a pineapple in the marketplace that already has the capital and you can be part of a growing story and be part of a team that allows you to continue to accelerate your growth. Mm -hmm. And I think there's really kind of both scenarios there. Um, but it's, it's absolutely feasible. The way, again, we look at it is it's, it's all about how people are, and we are most leveraging our time, and are we using that effectively? And so I think the model of acquisition, especially in this industry, is, is a very uh, interesting model for people to focus on, again, whether it's trying to do smaller deals on your own or whether it's teaming up with an equity investor or another larger-scale growing company in the business. Sure. And I think, too, it's interesting kind of weaving the threads back together of, like, we're talking about the technology, then we're talking about acquisition. But, I mean, really, those two things do come together because, you know, it's it's like you're looking to, you know, either be acquired or kind of partner with somebody that, that has that technology. Because I think a lot of ISOs, you know, they're called ISO for a reason. That's an independent sales organization. It's not an independent technology organization. Um, and so sometimes I feel like they maybe struggle and because they just don't have the technology to offer. They don't have anything to differentiate themselves. Um, and so a lot of times they need to be looking for those partnerships that would give them the, the edge or the value proposition they don't have, right? Yeah, absolutely. One, I think that's actually, so one of the things that as we sort of go back to the pineapple elevator pitch, one of the things we, we want to be able to deliver, whether it's to a software vendor or an independent sales organization is, by working with somebody like Pineapple, you're actually getting access to the value-added tools you need to go sell your merchants, right? So we own our own platform. We're not white-labeling and reselling somebody else's platform. So if you come to work with us, you can do a gateway-only deal or a platform deal, um, and you can still keep your merchant accounts wherever they are. Or you can do a deal with us where it's gateway, gateway and we do the merchant acquiring together. And so... I think from our point of view, the way we look at this is we want to offer our partners, our channel partners, whether that's ISOs, agents, or software vendors, as much technology as they can to help grow their business. Uh, and we're going to continue to look at other technology acquisition add-ons that give us more tools to offer. We don't really care whether it's in our brand, the Pineapple brand, or the Transax brand, or whether we white-label the entire platform for that end software vendor or sales organization that comes to us. So right. I would agree with your comment and that's why we have kind of the mentality and philosophy we do about technology being a key component of, of our business. Sure. Well, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening who uh, are like, wow, I got to, I got to check this company out. Maybe they haven't heard of you guys before. So um, if you're talking to, you know, an ISO, whether it's a smaller one looking to partner or a larger one looking at the technology, where would you send them? Where should they go to learn more about you guys and, and get in touch? They can go to pineapplepayments.com. Um, we have details there. And then uh, we'd be happy to connect with anybody that's interested in potentially partnering with us uh, via phone or in person up in either our Pittsburgh or Chicago office. Awesome. What's a, what's a good phone number for the, Chicago, for the uh, Pittsburgh office there? Uh, for the Pittsburgh office, 
the main our now you're testing me on the main line here. <laughs> <laughs> you don't give that out very often. Well, or whatever number, wherever you want them to call. I just know. No, um, no, no. You we'll, know, so. we'll get it for you, but we're you're, you're testing. Uh, <laughs> you're testing the skills here. Um, while, while John's looking for that, just one thing to add to uh, to answer your your last question. I think the the one thing that we often speak with people about when it comes to how do you grow a really solid ISO business is all about focus. A lot of times you have an agent yeah. or an ISO that goes out and calls on every merchant around in their network or in their geographic region, and then they have to go find all of these various partners mm -hmm. to be able to serve those merchants, whether right. it's point a sale company or a gateway company. And so you end up with 10 different processing relationships and 12 different pieces of technology, mm -hmm. whereas we see it a lot better if folks you know, pick a partner, whether it's us or not, we'd rather see people be successful and be successful in the industry. And so right. you know, pick someone who has really good technology and can offer you a good business deal when it comes to your revenue share and a good, uh, you know, base cost, uh, you know, pricing sheet, and then go focus on merchants that would be really good targets for the type of products that they offer. So for us, we don't tell people to go call on restaurants. For us, it makes sense to, you know, go call on B2B business or go call on people that need invoicing or recurring billing or those types of things, not a point of sale system. Right. And it's not that we can't offer that. We definitely offer that as well, but it's just, you know, our sweet spot is, you know, in certain areas with our own in-house technology. And, uh, you know, we, we definitely want to, you know, we're not going to turn business away, but it helps it, it helps us to grow quickly by having a core focus on five or six really targeted verticals. And, and then sure. we kind of fill out the rest of the business from there with other tools that we have. Well, so. And I think a lot of the ISOs run into this problem where, you know, their specialty is, again, running a sales organization. And so, you know, sometimes they have to piece stuff together, I think, too, because, all they know how to do is they have a lot of salespeople and they're really good at getting salespeople to sell stuff. Um, unfortunately, each salesperson yeah. is selling different things. And so all of a sudden they get in a situation where they're like, okay, we need to build, you know, a custom technology value proposition for 75 different business types. Well, that's not, you're not going to do that. You know, you need to go to a technology company and you know, you know what I mean? And partner with somebody else that's actually going to have that stuff for you. That's ready to go. Right. Exactly. And that's, that's uh, you know, that's where things become unscalable very quickly. And you right. end up, with more of a managing your own back office with accounting and operations than being able to sell. So Right, absolutely. So, All right, did we get our phone number? So good, news, good news, I was able to hunt down the phone number. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great, great. Okay, go, go ahead, we got it. Uh, 412-235-5500. Four, four, two, two, five, five, That's our main line, but uh, absolutely want to get folks connected with one of our folks on the business development team. Cool. Uh, and And be happy to walk anybody through a demo of the platform and, and kind of show you what we have to offer but awesome would really appreciate any opportunity to partner with you sounds great well i appreciate your time guys that was a great interview and uh, had a lot of fun on that one yeah awesome insights thank you thank you thank you appreciate it this is the insider's report with patty murphy brought to you by greensheet.com a premier resource for the electronic payments industry the Green Sheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. The Federal Reserve is getting real about faster payments, and this could have implications down the line for how consumers shop and business collect payments. A little background. The Federal Reserve has many responsibilities outside of its mandate to implement U.S. monetary policy. Two of its lesser-known responsibilities include chartering and regulating commercial banks, 
and serving as master gatekeeper to the nation's payment system. The Fed is required by law to make clearing and settlement services available to all regulated banks and credit unions, like uh, services like interbank ACH payments, checks, and wire transfers. All banks and credit unions also are required to maintain deposits with the Fed, and net settlements are posted to those accounts. But here's the catch. Fed clearing and net settlement services are available only between the hours of 7.30 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, and not on national holidays. Bank-to-bank -bank transactions submitted after 5.30 p.m. Eastern on weekdays or on weekends go into queues for clearing and settlement on the next business day. Needless to say, the Fed's operating hours can't support anything approaching always-on real-time payments. And that can be a handicap in an environment where consumers and businesses have com come to expect simplicity and immediacy. Real-time payments, particularly in the retail arena, simply cannot flourish without universal access to an always-on clearing and settlement mechanism that connects all stakeholders. Emerging faster payment systems like Zelle and Venmo settle funds between banks on a deferred basis. And that can be cumbersome if the bank used by the individual or business initiating a payment and the bank serving the recipient are not both on that network. These typically require initiating payments across a secondary network like the ACH and settlement through the Fed. As master gatekeeper of the nation's payments infrastructure, the Fed is best positioned to facilitate an always-on payment environment with supporting that settlement services. Well, last month the Fed finally took a few steps in this direction. Here's a little more background. About three years ago, the Fed commissioned a task force, aptly named the Faster Payments Task Force. Well, the government finally named something well. What do you know about right? that? <laughs> what do you think about that? Uh, the task force included representatives from hundreds of banks, non-bank providers of payment services, business and government end users, consumers groups, and government entities. And one of their key recommendations was, wait for it, the Fed needed to work towards promoting always-on universal real-time clearing and settlement. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that, right? So what the Fed did last month was it took the first real steps towards enacting, enacting on this recommendation. While it said it wasn't committing to any specific actions, the Fed issued a request for comment on whether it needs to create services for real-time settlement of payments initiated through banks and credit unions. Now, the Fed is notoriously slow in acting. And this is only the first step in what can be expected to be a long period of consideration, which presumably would be followed by creating a new real-time network and ancillary services that support interoperability between existing and emerging networks. The U.S. is not alone in its quest for real-time payment support. Several countries already have real-time payment networks in place, including the U.K., where both consumers and businesses can now initiate real-time payments using mobile devices, or their PCs. The European Central Bank and the Reserve Bank of Australia are also implementing real-time systems. When real-time payments do become a reality in the U.S., it's going to be a game-changer. Many experts believe the lack of traction for mobile payments, for example, has been the lack of interoperability between existing mobile networks and legacy banking systems. Hmm. It's also a good bet that Visa and MasterCard could have real-time payment schemes already on their planning boards. In fact, uh, MasterCard last year purchased Vocalink, which provides the technological underpinnings for a real-time payment system that the clearinghouse 
um, put together. And the clearinghouse is sure. made up of uh, most of the – it's a consortium of most of the nation's largest right. banks. Right, right. And that work, uh, of course, that network is still in its early stages, and only a handful of banks are participating. But presumably, yeah, there's something there. There's something there. Now, two of the biggest beneficiaries of real-time payments, I believe, will be cash-strapped consumers and businesses. Merchants who can count on customer payments being immediately accessible in their bank accounts should be able to reduce short-term financing needs. Um, you know, short-term financing needed to cover their um, cost of goods. Right. Now, Governor Lael Bernard described the Fed's payments focus in a recent re speech. She said it was to fully deliver on the promise of faster payments into the future. We need an infrastructure that can support continued growth and innovation with a goal of settlement on a 24-7 basis in real time, she said. To ensure the robustness of the payment system into the future, banks and other providers acting as their agents should have access to a settlement system that operates 24-7 and settles each payment as soon as an individual sends it, close quote. Hmm. And now it seems to me that the Fed uh, is starting to take steps in that direction. Well, and I'll tell you who the other big winner will be with this uh, service will be uh, the uh, ISOs because oh, yes. look at how much money Square uh, is making right now off of their instant funding. Mm -hmm. It only costs one percent, Patty. Yeah, hundred basis points of markup. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Imagine you can get it through your bank for free. Yeah. Or wow. Next to free. Right. Yeah. Sure. You have your account services fees. Sure. But they're not going to be a, a, on a tr right. transaction basis. So if I'm understanding this correctly, the the biggest impact though, as far as thinking about the ISO here, they would be able to you know get their money faster from the processor, right? right. Because when the processor sends an ACH. The processor could potentially, you know, the merchant settles at 11 at night or something. They'd just be able to send that ACH at 11 o'clock at night, and the merchant would get it at 11 o'clock at, at night. At 11 o'clock at night. Whereas right now, if they're sending that AC, if they're sending, you know, they're closing up their systems, say, 1130 on right. a Friday night, they're not going to see that money until Tuesday or Wednesday. Sure. Now, see, I don't know. The, I saw something recently, did a tiny bit of research on it, not enough to have any clue, but... Um, you know, it seems like there already is some things going on there with uh, debit cards, right? Where you can send money instantly to certain debit cards. Right. Um, and I don't know how all like that fits in. You have to be in, on but... the same network to do that. Right. Okay. Right. And that's what you're talking about where if you're not on about. that like, same network. It's like if you're not on, uh, if, you're not, okay. if your bank isn't a, a Zelle member bank. Okay. Like I did this with some friends a couple weeks ago. We were all out and my friend's like, oh, let's, I'll pay the tab and everybody can, right. can Venmo me the money. I said, okay. And somebody was like, oh, no, no, I need to Zelle. I don't have Venmo. <laughs> and I'm like, well, unless you're Chase, B of A, well, right. sure. you're not on Zelle. Yeah. You know, and that's right. where, so so in those cases, you know, that person had right. to send my friend, you know, put the thing in Zelle, and then Zelle basically right. was either cut a check mm -hmm. or did a batch, you know, transactions sure. to city or whoever her bank was. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, it's one other thing I always wonder about. I always wonder, do you, do you see down the road, I wonder if any of these ISVs for restaurants, for instance, mm -hmm. will implement any kind of a person-to-person -person service to split the check themselves. See, I think that's perfect. Don't you think that's I odd? think it is. And I, I, can I make don't a, understand why nobody's figured that out yet. Yeah, it seems like, you know, you would just get some of the thing that says, you know, I want to split the check up, and then you put the email address of the person in. But if somebody had a, a, a service like that, it would be kind of like you're signing up for kind of like Venmo right. on the spot. And so if you already have an account, you just kind of 
you know, hit a QR code or put your phone for a near field or something. Or something like that. I mean, yeah. like as it stands right now, and I think we've discussed this before, how many times you go out to restaurants with your friends and everybody throws their credit card in, right? Right, right. And somebody's up there having to do the, do the math. Right, which is very frustrating. Very frustrating. Yeah. See, to me, I really believe that one of the biggest shifts in our industry over the next five years is going to be as the ISVs, as the point of sale systems begin to connect directly with the consumer's phone. Mm -hmm. In other words, right now you have a little bit of that maybe, but as far as where when you come into a store, you're you're ringing yourself up on your own phone. Right. Or you're checking out, not on the little kiosk, but on your phone, you're pulling up an app or some kind of a web right. application, whatever it is, and you're ringing yourself up. Um, and that will empower so many more things to, to happen through an app or whatever it is. And so I, I think we'll see um, an iteration. I, you know, and really, you think about it, I mean, I think uh, Square, um, I really believe that's one of their long-term ambitions. You think about how they have the Square sure. Cash app. Right, exactly. Their goal is to get not just apps in the in the business, but they want to get apps on the consumer's phone. Sure. And they are, you better believe they're going to integrate those together in, long, in the long run oh, to make payments with Square Cash, right, to the, you know, so, uh, you know, that'll cut out interchange. Right for them, they'll still charge two point seven five percent. Right. Um, so I think there's a lot of plays that that could be that could be looked at on that way. Yeah. So good stuff. Very interesting. Yeah. Great. This is questions from the field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com, with over thirty training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis. ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. One question, Patty, that I get asked all the time from ISOs and agents is how much training is too much? They want to be an expert. You know, they want to know what they're talking about. Um, but at the same time, you know, you got to make money. Right. You got to make sales. and You don't make money sitting and watching videos or going through training materials, right? Right, right. So here's, here's my advice. Um, you know, and I'll give you, I'll be really specific with it. I think that, you know, generally speaking, you need to have an agent onboarding process that takes a couple of days. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's enough to go through where you need a day or two of like full intensive, like let's explain the business and understand what's going on. But what I found is usually about, 10 to 15 hours of training somewhere in that range mm -hmm. is about all that an agent can absorb <clears throat> until they apply it. I, I think that sounds reasonable. Sure. Is that about right? Yeah. So what you need to do is the training, it isn't, you know, the, the I'm going to basically turn this question around because the question, whether it's an agent or an ISO, isn't really how much training is too much. I don't think you can ever have too much training. Sure. You can have too much training that does not coincide with action steps. Mm. And that's really the danger. Get to 10 or 15 hours of training and then you say, okay, now we're going to go out in the field and apply all the things that we just learned. But then it's a continuous training approach. Mm -hmm. And so you have to limit yourself and you really have to be careful. I'll tell you, you know, Patty, um, in my 20s, um, I would say I list, I, I went through, I would say on average uh, eight to 10 books a month 
that I would go through in my 20s. Uh-huh. And, you know, my wife would vouch, you know, when we got married, you know, she was always like, my goodness, like how many books can you read, you know, in a year is like, and, you know, one thing I found is while I'm glad I did that, I wouldn't go back and change that because I think I, I broadened my mind. But, you know, the truth is, I don't know how many really great action steps I got from that. Um, one thing I've learned now is I try to read, I'll, I'll, I'll read a book or listen to an audio book and then four or five months later, I'll listen to it again. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a year later, I'll listen to it again. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to... And you're be- getting new stuff every time. I am. And, yeah. and even more than that, I'm getting the same stuff, but I'm remembering and I'm, I'm pounding these habits in. Oh man, I've got to do that every single time I go in. I got to make sure I'm doing this, or every time I'm doing a deal, I got to think about this and get this stuff top of your mind. Um, And so again, that kind of goes in with this training because when you're training your salespeople, or if you're a salesperson going online and finding training and things like that, you know, don't you know? It's like drinking water out of a fire hose. (laughs) You know, oh my goodness, I'm gonna watch. You know, I'm gonna go to YouTube and watch 57 of James's videos today. Well, you know, I appreciate that, um, but it's not really going to do you any good because it's it's too much. It's like pouring water in a sieve. Right. You know, that's You're just not absorb it. it's too much. You know, what you do is, you know, watch a few videos, go through some training, um, then get out in the field and write down the what are the two or three things that you learned from that material that you can apply today, and then go apply it. Mm-hmm. See how it works out. Because I'll tell you something else. Sometimes information is just totally bogus. Right. I've read sales books before. I've read tons of sales books. And I've read sales books where I was like, oh, wow, that's awesome. I'm going to go try that. And I would go try it and try it and try it and say, that just doesn't work. Right. You know, that sounded like a, a great idea. It just doesn't work. Um, and so I think you have to apply these things over time. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So my tip for you today is take a little time after you do some training. Uh, if you're an ISO, don't go more than 10 or 15 hours of pure training. Get some action steps in there. Yeah. If you're an agent, uh, my advice to you is go through a little bit of training, um, not a whole lot of time, grab two or three action steps, and then go implement before you do more. Yeah, and then come back, and then then do a little trial and error, and you'll be a lot more satisfied, I think. You know, I think that that there's a lot to be said for that. I've taken a lot of online courses over Mm -hmm. the years, and, you know, some friends are like, oh, man, I finished that course in a week. Really? How could you you do that? How could you have absorbed it all? I'll take a month. Right. And I'll, you know, I'll go over that course today and then maybe in two days I'll go over it right. again because right. I know I'm not absorbing it. And in the meantime, you know, I think some people look at training as something to get through rather than something to implement. Yeah. I watched all those videos of, from that and course. And what did you learn? Right. <laughs> and, you know, and, and did you pause? A good example right now, uh, one of our support guys who's one of our lead support people, he's trying to, uh, you know, learn HTML, CSS to help uh-huh. with our uh, proposal templates. Sure. So... He's got this course. And I told him, I said, you know, every time that they show an example or anything, pause it yes. and open up a document and do that. That's exactly Take right. your time. You got to implement. Yeah. And, you know, when I do it, it's like I have have the course on one computer and I'm taking notes on another. Exactly. Exactly. Got to implement. So there you go, everybody. Hope you have a terrific day. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.